You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Barag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Psalms. It's kept open-ended so that we can fill in the blanks with our own thorn in the flesh to keep us from becoming conceited, proud, full of ourselves, arrogant, to keep us humble and dependent and fully devoted upon Him. That's why God won't remove it. That's why God has allowed it. That's why it continues to torture us day in and day out. What is the thorn in your flesh? Today, Pastor J.D. teaches you through his message that God allows thorns in your flesh to keep you humble and dependent on Him. He knows that if He were to remove it, you would become prideful and self-reliant. Pastor J.D. reminds you today that God cares about drawing you near to His heart. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in Psalms chapter 86 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Teach me your way, O Lord, verse 11. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. That's interesting. It, it's, again, got this idea of not having a divided heart. It's an undivided heart. It's a united heart speaking to the loyalty and the devotion of our heart. We're to love the Lord with all of our heart, not half, not a third, not a quarter, whole heart. My whole heart is united, undivided, fully devoted to you. I think of the prophet in Second Chronicles 16 that comes to King Asa after he has successfully allied against this army of the Ethiopians. And he actually pulled it off. But there was a time many years earlier when he was not as strong and he had to completely rely upon the Lord. And the Lord delivered him miraculously out of the hands of the enemy. Well, then he grows, prospers, God blesses him. He starts to rely on his own strength, starts to depend on his own savvy and military strategy. And he pulls it off with this alliance, and he's victorious. And then God has the prophet come to him and say to him, don't you know that the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro throughout the earth, looking for hearts that are fully devoted to Him. Because when He finds a heart that is fully devoted to Him, He will be strong on their behalf. That's what the psalmist is talking about here, a fully devoted heart, a heart for God. And again, should we be surprised that we would have a psalm such as this from the sweet psalmist of Israel, David, who had a heart after God's own heart? He had a united heart. He had an undivided heart. Was he a sinful man? No question. Did he sin greatly before the Lord in this 
adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband, Uriah the Hittite? Yes, he did. But he still had a heart fully devoted to God. Verse 12, I will praise you, O Lord my God. Here it is again, with all my heart. And I will glorify your name forever. For great is your mercy toward me. (laughs) David knew a thing or two about being on the receiving end of God's mercy. God not paying him as his sins deserved. Great is your mercy toward me. By the way, the one who has been forgiven of much, shown mercy much, if you will, loves much. David loved God with all of his heart. Why? Because he had been forgiven of so much. And you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Oh God, the proud have risen against me, and a mob of violent men have sought my life, and have not set you before them. But you, O Lord, verse 15, are a God full of compassion, and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. This has its reference to the book of Exodus where we're given a glimpse into a description of the nature of God. You want to know who I am? You want to know what I'm like? I don't know what your image of God is, but this is who God is. He's full of compassion. He's a compassionate God. He's a gracious God. He's a long-suffering God. Emphasis added. (laughs) He suffers long. And I like the Exodus verse better. Abounding in mercy. Not just mercy again, abundant mercy, an abundance of mercy. In other words, it's inexhaustible. You know how much mercy God, there's no limit. It endures His mercy forever. His mercy endures forever. You cannot exhaust it. You cannot run out of it. You'll never have God say, you know what? I'm out of mercy for the day. I got a new shipment coming in. You'll have to wait. No. I know that's a silly way to illustrate it, but abounding in mercy and truth. Oh, verse 16, turn to me and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed. I like this because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Well, I have to confess that I've been really looking forward to Psalm 86 for a number of reasons, chief of which is that it speaks to God's goodness in a very bad situation. And this is one of those places too where we're not really told specifically what the situation that David was in. We know it was perilous. We know that his life was threatened. It was a life and death situation, very perilous, very painful for him, very fearful for him. And again, that's, I believe, by God's design, where it's kept 
generic, for lack of a better way of saying it, because if it were so specific, we would tend to be dismissive of it under the banner of, well, that's not my situation. So it doesn't really apply to me. We were talking about this with Paul's thorn in the flesh. We don't know what the thorn is, and that's by God's design. It's kept open-ended so that we can fill in the blanks with our own thorn in the flesh to keep us from becoming conceited, proud, full of ourselves, arrogant, to keep us humble and dependent and fully devoted upon Him. That's why God won't remove it. That's why God has allowed it. That's why it continues to torture us day in and day out. God is keeping us humbly dependent upon Him. If He were to remove it, it would be the worst thing He could ever do. Because if He were to remove whatever that thorn is, and you fill in the blank in your life, then we would become proud, arrogant, self-sufficient, self-reliant, And that always leads to a fall. And God's not going to be party to our disobedience. God's not going to be party to our fall. He can't. That's just not who He is. So we're told only that the situation is perilous and life-threatening. But that's it. The beauty of this psalm is that David, true to form, is putting his trust in the Lord because of his intimate relationship with the Lord and praying to the Lord. I want to talk about that when we get to Psalm 88. Here's the takeaway from this psalm. God's past goodness to us is a promise of God's continued blessing on us and His mercy for us. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. I know this isn't proper English. Don't email me. He can't not. If He delivered you in the past, He will deliver you in the present. He will deliver you in the future. He can't not. Again, that's a double negative. I was told once by an English professor, so there you have it. Psalm 87, a short psalm. It's again a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song. Verse 1, His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God, Selah. I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to those who know me. Behold, O Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia, this one was born there. And, verse 5, of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High Himself shall establish her. The Lord will record when He registers the peoples, this one was born there, Selah. Both, verse 7, the singers And the players on instruments say, all my springs are in you. Now, does this psalm make sense to you (laughs) at first read? It probably doesn't, and I'm going to try to maybe help better understand what this is. It's a little hard to understand at first read, but it's better understood as a prophecy about the city of Jerusalem and the coming kingdom of God. 
And the prophetic significance of this psalm concerning Jerusalem is not only for us today in the last days, and it certainly is, and we know that every week when we do a prophecy update, but for all eternity, this is the eternal city, the new Jerusalem where Jesus is going to rule and reign, and not only Him, but us with Him as His bride by His side. Revelation 21, 27 tells us that we too will be with Jesus as citizens. This is what the psalmist was referring to in recording the citizenship book, the book of life, the citizens of the new Jerusalem as our new home for all eternity. That's why it is, by the way, for those of you who go to Israel with us, when we do, there's something about Jerusalem, isn't there? You know when we're driving in and we're going up to Jerusalem, and it's usually towards the end of the evening and the sun is setting, and the bus driver will play, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, song about Jerusalem. And I mean, it's, it's pretty powerful. It's pretty emotional. I, I cry sometimes. Just, it's a spiritual place. And that Jerusalem, though this is the earthly Jerusalem, is going to be our new Jerusalem for all eternity. Maybe that's why there's so much love for this city. Okay, Psalm 88. I hope I warned you enough. I hope I didn't discourage you, but this is a really, really depressing psalm. If you're one that is given over to depression, you're just going to have to hang in there with me as I read this psalm. I'll try to read it as quickly as I possibly can. It's a song, we're told, another psalm of the sons of Korah. There's more specificity here. Not only is it to the chief musician, it's set to Mahalath Le'anath. We don't know what that is. And it's a contemplation of Haman the Ezrahite. Okay, verse 1. O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Again, kind of the same idea of the prayer of David about bow down your ear. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to the grave. I am counted, verse 4, with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength, adrift among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and who are cut off from your hand. You, verse 6, have laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness in the depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. Selah. It gets worse. Verse 8, you have put away my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an abomination to them. I am shut up and I cannot get out. He has no more friends. He's all alone and he's convinced this is it. This is how it ends. Verse 9, my eye wastes away because of affliction, Lord. I have called daily upon you. I've stretched out my hands to you. Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you, Selah? Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave, or your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Shall your wonders, verse 12, be known in the dark, and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? 
But to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. I suffer your terrors. I am distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They came around me all day long like water. They engulfed me altogether. Verse 18, finally, (laughs) loved one and friend, you have put far from me and my acquaintances into darkness. Oh, I wish there was a better ending to this psalm in our Bible study tonight. I know, right? This has this reminiscent of Job, and why do you withhold from me the very thing that I long for the most? My death. I mean, it's kind of like, just put me out of my misery. And that's how the psalm ends. And it makes you wonder, why in the world would we have a psalm like this in our Bible? Certainly there has to be a reason. We know that all Scripture is inspired, God's not just going to have something included in the pages of Scripture to fill up space. We need to have an even 150 Psalms, so we got to have a Psalm 88. So let's put this one in and make everybody cry. (laughs) One has referred to Psalm 88 as a song sobbing with sadness from beginning to end. It's like Oswald Chambers once said, some, there's no, you know, with that saying, there's a silver lining at the, in every cloud, or I probably completely botched it, but you know what what I'm talking about, right? There's a, you know, every cloud has a silver lining. Is that it? Can somebody help me out here? Just, is that it? Yeah. Oh, I, I got it right. Wow. Praise the Lord. I haven't completely lost my mind. Okay. There's a silver lining in every cloud. Okay. Oswald Chambers once said, some clouds are black through and through. Yeah, that's Psalm 88. It is black and bleak through and through. A song sobbing with sadness. So I ask the question again, why do we even have a psalm like this in our Bibles? Well, I would suggest that the reason we have Psalm 88 in our Bibles is because there is always hope no matter what. And here's how I get there. This is a prayer. He is pleading with God. He is crying out to God day and night. He is begging God to incline His ear, bow down His ear to hear His prayer. Think about this. If He has no hope, He has no prayer. Right? The fact that He is still praying means that he still has hope, even though he feels very dangerous. Feelings are good servants. Feelings are not good masters. Feelings are servants. They should never be your master. But he is feeling the antithesis of faith, that God has forsaken him, that God's wrath is upon him, that God is hiding himself from him. God is not hearing him. God is not answering him. God has completely and totally forgotten him. But the fact that he's still praying means that he still has faith. I want you to think about this. Is not prayer an expression of faith? I mean, what's faith? 
the substance of things hoped for, the evidence, strong word, of that which is unseen. So we pray to the unseen God, okay? It takes faith to pray. If I am without any faith and I have lost complete hope, I'm certainly not going to pray. What's the point? I have no hope. I have lost my faith, lost all faith. If I have no faith and I have no hope, I have no prayer. I'm not going to bother. What am I going to do, just talk into the air? No. The fact that he would pray, not just what he prayed, but how he prayed what he prayed, tells me that as bad as this looks, he still has hope. And that's how I want to end the Bible study. It is never, ever, ever hopeless. Oh, but it might seem like it, but it's never completely hopeless. Even though we're discouraged, even though we're defeated, even though we're given over to despair, we are crushed, we are devastated, we are decimated, we are hurt, we are in pain, we are suffering, we're losing hope. It's never hopeless. James says, is any among you in trouble? Yeah, the writer of Psalm 88 is in a lot of trouble, it seems like, right? Let him pray. Let him pray. Is it not true that when we come to places like Psalm 88, and I would argue that there is a Psalm 88 in our lives. We've all experienced and tasted from the cup of a Psalm 88 at times, where it just seemed like there's no way. This is how it ends, man. You know, thanks for the memories. (laughs) It's over. I'm going to start making plans for my funeral, for when I'm gone, and I better get my affairs in order, because I ain't getting out of this one. It's over. It is over. But God. Sometimes I think that God will allow us to get to this place, just so we'll call upon Him. Not because He's being cruel. I knew I'd get you done on your knees and praying and calling on me. It's about time. No. I want you in that Psalm 88 season in your life, O precious one, I want you to pray and call upon me so you can see what I am going to do for you. You will taste from a cup that you would have never otherwise tasted from, had it not been for being in this place. And we fight it, don't we? Man, when things are going really hard, and things are going wrong, and things are really bad, it's really hard during those times to see the goodness of God in the midst of that. We're so glad you joined us today for Pastor J.D.'s continuing teaching in the book of Psalms. While our time with you is ending, your study of God's Word doesn't have to. Everyone can learn from the Bible, and everyone will be blessed when they open their hearts to its truth. As you spend time in Scripture today, ask God to share His heart directly with yours, and be open to whatever He has to teach you. Know that we're praying for you as you study, and we'll continue to do so each time we produce a new edition of In Spirit and Truth. 
Are you in the Kaneohe area? If so, we'd love to have you come be a part of our weekly services. Calvary Chapel Kaneohe meets each week to spend time praising the Lord and learning from His Word. Find out more about us and get directions at inspiritandtruthradio.com. You can also hear additional teachings from Pastor J.D. while you're there or download our mobile app for Apple and Android devices to access these messages anywhere and everywhere. We'd also like to point out Pastor J.D.'s Mideast Prophecy Update. Each Friday and Saturday, Pastor J.D. updates us on where the world is in conjunction with the prophecies of the Bible. He takes the time to comb through the news and tell us how world events line up with God's plan as stated in His Word. If you'd like to view the latest edition of the Mideast Prophecy Update, visit our website. Again, that's in spiritandtruthradio.com. Thanks for joining us today for Pastor J.D.'s teaching, and we hope you'll tune in again right here on In Spirit and Truth.